Well, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 378, and our guest today is Jeff. Jeff joined us back in episode number 365 as part of our Before the Hunt series. And now Jeff is back today to tell the story after the hunt. So Jeff and a handful of guys went to New Mexico to hunt bears this fall, and most of those guys were rookies, either completely new to big game hunting or new to backcountry hunting in particular. And so we tell that whole story in episode 365, answer Jeff's questions, and a whole lot more. So if you'd like to hear the Before the Hunt episode, go back and check out that story for more context on the story that we tell today in this episode. And I will say that in this episode, whether you are a rookie or not, whether you may hunt fall bears or not, whether you may go to New Mexico or not, I truly feel like this is an important episode to tune into. We get into some things as we tell the story and especially later on in the episode about lessons learned and mindset and facing failure. And there's just so many takeaways from this. And the story that Jeff tells today is a very real, very relatable story. This isn't one of those like interviews with an expert or necessarily tips and tactics, which are so popular and so helpful. But if you want a true story and a real story and something that you can not only relate to, but learn from, then definitely tune in to this one today. As always, we do appreciate you tuning in. If you have any questions or feedback for us, you can send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com or look for the link in the show description that says, leave us a message. And you can use whatever device you're on right now to leave us your audio message with a question for a future Q&A episode. And before we dive into this episode, I also want to say that it does help us tremendously if you share the show with a friend or leave a rating or review in whatever podcast app that you're using. That goes a long way. Hit pause and do that now if you can. Otherwise, let's go ahead and dive into this conversation with Jeff. Well, Jeff, welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited to hear kind of the the after the hunt story with you today. We haven't chatted. I don't know how everything went down. So personally, I'm just like excited to hear the, how this adventure went, man. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, leading up to this, it was, you know, I talked to my wife, like, should I cliffhanger it or just tell the story? And I think we'll just, we'll just get, get to it. And, yeah. Um, you know, uh, we'll, yeah. We had, um, with your, you know, we told your story kind of the before the hunt story, we had several podcast listeners reach out and kind of offer to get in touch with you and maybe share some advice or at least kind of maybe narrow down some things for you, which is always cool to me that, uh, you know, we have hunters listening to the show who are just happy to help other hunters. And then you had also sent us an email at one point that not only between that but other research you were doing, talking to fish and game, talking to taxidermists, like you just at one point, I think you said you were just overwhelmed by how much information you had. Um, 
what was your mindset really going into this hunt, whether it was about all of that information specifically or just kind of in general, like let's go and focus in before the hunt itself on the time between you and I first chatting on the podcast and then leading up to the hunt, like what's notable from that time frame? Yeah, that, that amount of advice on, you know, sort of the rundown of that would be, Hey, I, uh, I contacted a taxidermist. He said, you need to go to this area. There's tons of bears there. And then we would get, um, another, you know, a totally different place, the same advice in a, in an area 50 miles away. And I mean, we had, I probably got another three areas in, in addition to the four that were already laid on us at the time, uh, I did the before the hunt podcast. So, um, that was absolutely overwhelming, but leading into the drive out we had a very solid plan of hey we're going to start in this area give it two to three days go to the next area two to three days and then a third area which and that third area was actually the area before all the advice started rolling in that was the area that we had we were just going to camp in like park it in there for a good bit um so we had to kind of exclude some areas just logistically um, but going into it, we were pretty confident that we had an, a good chance to see some bears and get on some bears. And, um, the one thing that didn't happen is, and this was a mistake on my part, it just from not, I've just an experiential mistake is that the game warden that had offered all that help. Um, when I called him, it was after the hunting season had started. So what do game wardens do during the hunting season? They're out patrolling. They're not sitting at their desk anymore. So mm-hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't able to ever get a hold of him again. Um, just cause he's so crazy busy with elk season and deer and all that. So that was a miscalculation on my part. I should have in hindsight, I should have called a week earlier. Um, and, uh, I would probably would have talked to him and he would have given us a little bit more targeted advice in the areas he'd already, we'd already picked up. So, um, so we didn't get that, that bit of information now, whether or not that would have helped, I don't know. Um, that's remains to be seen. I'll, I'll carry that burden for a while <laughs> if that ends up being <laughs> the, the, the linchpin and all, but, um, then, you know, that, that nerve, those nerves of picking the right spot, that's, it went away when we rolled in. Um, but, uh, that was on everybody's mind, you know, driving up to, to the, to the space. I mean, we were, you know, full of piss and vinegar, just thinking that we were going to tag out day one, you know, that kind of stuff. And I think that's just rookie hunting, just being optimistic. I think if I recall correctly, the original plan was for five or six of you guys in total. Is that how many guys ended up coming together for this hunt? Yeah, there were a total of six, um, two, uh, experienced hunters that hunted in um, Arizona in very, very similar conditions to where we were. Then uh, four of us are brand new to Western hunting. Like, I mean, like we talked the last time, nothing, no real, no hunting experience camping at the same, well, while camping and then no backcountry experience for all but me. I, as a kid, I'd done a lot of backcountry camping um, and then, uh, some as an adult, uh, but yeah, there was, yeah, those two guys knew what they were doing. And then the four of us just flapping in the wind. 
you guys all met I, i'm assuming some of you guys probably kind of carpooled or you know arrived together and then there's a group of guys maybe some in, coming from different places or what have you or drove separately that you're all getting to the central point kind of to start the hunt all six of you or did it kind of was there any approach to hey three of us or two of us or four of us are going to be over here for the first couple of days and you guys over there and then rally together or was it kind of everyone came together at once to kick off this hunt um the two guys from arizona rolled in early on saturday which was the day before the season opened because uh, they only lived about four hours away so they got there about noon i think and then we left early Saturday morning um, and our intent was they would get there and kind of scout the area. Um, and then uh, if there w- they could have made like a quick determination of, you know, hey, it's flooded with people or um, recent burn that we didn't know about, some kind of unknown circumstance. And then we would roll in. Initially, our goal was to get as close to our, like, kind of trailhead, so to speak, as possible. Um, But then it became clear that with a 16-hour drive and making maybe the last hour and a half or two hours of that in dark on just a two-track, pulling a trailer and an ATV, that that wasn't going to happen. So we met um, we met up with them at a central those two guys from Arizona, we met up with them at a central campsite and, you know, powwowed that night and then, uh, got up the next day to, um, to hit our, hit our spot. And they, they, we'd kind of divvied up a location each had a location in this unit that was big enough to cover in a couple, three days for each group or each pair. And, um, so that's that's how the the hunt started sat Sunday morning. Okay, and you were going to have three pairs. Yes. Yep. Okay. Cool. I guess from your personal experience, this hunt starts Sunday. You're in one of a few pairs. It's always interesting to me when you kind of arrive in new country in the dark, and then the first day, and now sun comes up, or maybe you arrive. You know, you. Um, arrived the previous day and it was light but you're just at a trailhead but basically when you get a new country and really start to hike into it and experience it um, it's always an awesome feeling to me i always love that but for you personally what was um did expectations and reality match did this country that you're now hiking into here on the first day of the hunt align at all with what was in your head or what you thought it was going to be like well i'll tell you that we rolled into that, into the Gila, which is where we were, the southern, very southern end of the Gila for- National Forest during daylight. So we got to see some of it. And very quickly, we organized a class action lawsuit against Onyx for um, misrepresentation of elevation. Um, yeah, we were very like, and that's a joke, but we were very like, holy crap, this is way like the you know, the, the, the elevation bands on Onyx, once you being a flatlander, basically, um, you see those and you're like, Oh, okay. Well, that's like 50 feet over 150 feet. You know, you just making these wild ass guesses about what it, what that's going to look like. So when you hit the ground and you see, no, this is dang near vertical. And, um, that's oh okay that's what 700 feet of elevation gain looks like over you know 300 yards or whatever it is 
Um, yeah, it was it was a eye opener for sure. Now we maintained some pretty good optimism, um, and then Sunday when we rolled into um, where we were actually like the trailhead um, or where we were going to break off the trail, um, I, I I saw it as hey, I thought I was going to go this way, but I know enough. Let's go. Let's kind of side hill this way to a saddle and find lower places to cross. So where we were very um, spooked by it, um, the the elevation created a kind of a challenge and a sense of accomplishment. Like, oh, okay, well, that's what it looks like. We're going to go that way. But, oh, hey, over here, I can I can cut that down a couple hundred feet. And then I can just side hill or run the ridge and make it a lot easier on us. So we started to, to develop a, um, like a already some problem solving that bolstered our confidence. Um, now what the real challenge was is my, so the two guys from Arizona knew enough, they each brought their own four wheelers. So one of the challenges quickly became, um, driving a truck with a trailer up and down these two tracks that are not necessarily traveled by just regular trucks. Like, you know, you've got to have kind of a, not necessarily four wheel drive, but you can't have like a truck that, you know, you're take you know, um, that you, the guy whose truck it was, he's an electrical, um, contractor. And so it works for his work, but, you know, you're going over some of these rocks where you're waiting for an oil pan to get cracked or, uh, you know, drive up into a fender. And, um, so it was slow going. We realized we weren't going to be able to make it all the way to where we needed to, cause the truck was not going to do it. So we started out at, at, at a, about a mile of, um, road hiking, which is very, very, that's just, that's not good for morale, you know, um, when you're hiking on a road. Um, and then my party was me and my friend, Marco, we were the no ATV guys. We were going to bomb in, just dip off the road, hit and hike to our glassing spot. And we were going to be on foot the entire time. And then the third pair had one ATV uh, four wheeler between them, which, uh, in hindsight, that, area is a it's almost necessitates some kind of atv utv side by side something because you can cover ground so much faster in a four-wheeler than in a truck um we could have shaved off that first day we could have shaved three hours off the beginning of our hunt or we could have gotten there three hours earlier if we'd have had all had four-wheelers just because you can you can go 45 miles an hour on these roads in a four wheeler, but in a truck, you have to go 15 or 10 because you can't, um, maneuver around big rocks or whatever it is. So, uh, day one started late. And, um, I think by the time Marco and I got to where we were going to dip off the road, it was already like 10 o'clock, I think 10 a.m. So we missed the first part of the first morning of glassing altogether. Did all these groups take off with, you know, however many days of food and like, were they backpacking or some backpacking? Other guys were planning on kind of always coming back to this base camp. Was there a mix of strategies there? 
Um, the two experienced hunters, they left with um, a couple days of uh, food and water. Um, me and Marco left with, um, I left with three days of food. He's had three days of food. I had six liters of water on me. And then he only had, I didn't realize this till later, but he only had like two liters, maybe two and a half, um, which became problematic later. But, um, and then the other guys left with three days of food and I don't know how much water, but it wasn't enough water. So, um, but we were ready to camp. I was prepared to camp in Marco three days when I stepped out of that truck, put my backpack on, it was, um, three days I was ready to be out there. Um, and the heavy pack, I think my pack weighed with all that food and water, just shy. And, um, my rifle, I think I was right at about 50, 45 pounds, which was heavy, but in my mind, it was only going to get lighter, um, as we moved, uh, and I only, I think I only had a couple things that were non-essential. Um, but I felt pretty confident in that and I, I'd rocked with it. I, I felt good. Um, and that it wasn't too heavy and thinking that, you know, every day I was going to lose, you know, a pound and a half in food and then water would just be kind of a constant rotation. I felt, I felt good. Um, and I, and I'd followed all your packing. Like I, I'd watched several of those, uh, what's in your pack videos and I'd gotten it all good and compact. And, um, uh, one of the things that came apparent, pretty obvious for me was that the pack I had was too small for me. So I couldn't quite get the load lift off my shoulders. And then the belt was not big enough to really disperse the weight around my hips. I could get it setting on my hips, but it was resting. Like it just didn't wrap around me enough. So it, it seemed to jostle a lot more than I think it probably would on a pack that fit me. Gotcha. Let's go ahead and, well, actually one more question before we dive into, uh, I want to kind of narrow down on the first, first couple days or first how the events went for you and Marco, like your group. But before that, what was the communication plan? So we now have three different groups of hunters and, you know, different areas kind of branched out from a central spot, radios, inreaches, nothing. <laughs> How was the plan to stay in touch <laughs> among these groups? We had, uh, my group, I had a Zolio. Marco had an inreach. Um, the two experienced hunters had both had Zolios. And then in the, the third group, they had one Zolio amongst them. That was my brother-in-law, Brian. And uh, I'll just say that I don't have any experience. This is my first experience with any of them. And maybe the inReach was not set up right. But the Zolio, um, it, was, it was just like texting back and forth. I mean, you had an update every three or four minutes. So I could text with my wife. Um, and anybody that had a Zolio and it was very fast and the inReach seemed to, to lag a lot more. It was, it was very, um, it wasn't as reliable as the Zolio. So, um, those were great. And we, our plan was basically just kind of 
every 12 hours or so, every break, send a text, make sure, um, you know, if, it, if there's a problem or how you're doing, just kind of regular up to date, um, you know, keep us up to date. If anybody changes plans, let us know. And then, um, uh, and then nightly we all sent messages to each other just to like, Hey, we're where we needed to be or vice versa. Now I'll say that that was the plan. Um, and, um, as I kind of get through this, not too many spoilers, but, um, very little went to plan. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's dive into it, man. Let's pick up kind of the story, how, what your experience was and yeah, just lead us into it. Okay. So late start on Monday and I'll preface that by saying one of the things that became pretty obvious, um, and we talked, we'd hit on this briefly in the podcast, the before the hunt podcast is, you know, making sure everybody was on the same page as far as like, Hey, this isn't a beer drinking, sit by the campfire. Um, and then kind of wander out for an hour or so kind of hunt. We're really going to go dig into this and be serious about it. Um, what we kind of didn't anticipate was the different levels of people's urgency. So there were like being all in the same car and all in the same kind of like initial plan sort of set in motion some things like, you know, maybe one guy takes a really long time to get going in the morning and, you know, things like creature comfort coffee and things like that kind of developed into like, a, Hey, I'm, re I'm ready to go. Like I, I, I want to go right now, but you've got to rely on somebody for, um, transportation to the trailhead so that presented a bit of a problem and which also um led to kind of late starts now mark we'll jump forward to marco and i stepping off the road and trying to get to our glassing area um that initial hike i think it took us two two miles um of you know as the crow flies but we we gained and lost somewhere in the neighborhood of 1300 1400 feet of elevation so we would go up six down six up eight and then flatten off for a little while so it was a lot of vertical hiking um and it wasn't that bad like um that vertical hiking just bombing straight up and it was real brushing but very little visibility wind was in our favor it felt good um and um we were in the elevation band that we were informed had berries and acorns and we were seeing nothing. Um, the coolest thing we, coolest things we saw were some old bear scat with a rattlesnake rattle in it. And the first horny toad I'd seen since I was 10. So that was what we saw hiking in. Um, we got to our glassing spot at about two in the afternoon, I think. So we had about four hours, three hours of hiking with a couple breaks in there just to kind of keep ourselves sane. Um, so we get up, get to this nice big basin, find a great spot to glass. Um, and it's that tall, uh, it's like landscaping grass. It looks like pampas grass, real tall, but chest high with that white feathery um, kind of bloom thing on the top. So it's difficult to find a spot high enough that you can then see over that down into the valley. It wasn't just like rocky edges on this, um, this ridge. 
So it took a little bit of time, but we glass this really beautiful basin for through three hours. Um, and then, uh, decided we were going to try to find a flat spot. One of the things that we didn't anticipate was that all the kind of volcanic rock it creates with this grass. It looks like a very nice, it looks like a beautiful area where you could just lay down over the grass and take a nap. But in reality, every four or five feet, there's a, you know, a, um, uh, bowling ball size rock or bigger that you may or may not be able to roll out of the way. So as we were packing up glassing, we kind of realized, Hey, we need to, our priority now is not to hit the next where we were going. It's to find a flat spot that we can camp. Um, because I don't think we're going to make it to where we need to. Those rocks are making it really, really difficult to hike. Um, and then with the grass, you can't see them. So, uh, we just, that was our goal was to find a flat spot. Um, it turned out that what we, our fears were, it was way worse than we thought because every <laughs> you're, you're, you're hiking around this stuff. And I, I, if it hadn't been for me having really solid boots, I probably would have broken an ankle up there. Like it, it really, every step was every muscle in your body is tensed up because the rock is rolling and then you've got to find another foothold and you're, I was using my trekking poles. Like I had the butt of the trekking pole in the palm of my hand. So I was bracing myself for a fall the whole time. And so you're just using every muscle in your body. You're not just hiking. You're like concentrating, you're, um, um, preparing to fall and then seeking out the next place you're going to put your foot. So what was only about 800 yards took us two hours, maybe it was just treacherous. Um, and there were, <laughs> there were several moments, Marco in particular, at one moment just sat on a rock, leaned up against a tree and he just said, I'm sleeping right here. I'm done. I was like, man, you can, you can't do that. And he's cramping a lot, like a lot. And so we're stopping a lot. My shoulders were killing me from the pack, but nothing. I mean, it was slow going, but it wasn't treacherous or, you know, I didn't feel like I was in danger. Um, but we managed, you know, when he was down, I would pick him up, you know, emotionally or, you know, mentally and then vice versa. So we managed to get to a level spot um, just about, just about dusk and we are white uh clear out a little area of rocks get our tents pitched um and while we're clearing that out trying to force some food down our bellies um i start i smell elk i i've been around enough of that country in my life to know what elk smelled like and i was like we are sleeping in an elk bed right now like that's where we're at this is a perennial elk bed and you start to look around and you can see how they've cleared out an area um, and where their trails are, you know, up to their ankles in mud. And it's a, it's like a, the, the hub elk bed. And when we stop and our, you know, ears stop ringing from the <laughs> exhaustion, elk bugling all around us. I mean, within it, when we, when we finally settled and drank water, we were in just recapping the day, they were within a hundred yards of us. I mean, loud bugles and crashes and so um we're exhausted we crawl into bed and we had elk walking up to us bugling breaking limbs throwing a fit within 
25 yards of our tents and cow elks blowing at us, probably mule deer blowing at us all night to the point where it's waking you up. You know, it took Advil PM and I'm waking up to something that I could have thrown a rock at easily, um, stomping and blowing at us. Um, and I'm talking to him like, Hey girl, you need to, you know, walk away <laughs> because I don't want to get trampled. You know, I don't know what's, what uh, that my fear is that she's going to walk up, smell me and then just start wheel kicking me. Um, but, uh, I will say that I now have an elk spot, so I'm going to start applying for elk tags in that unit. Um, sleep, uh, gone to bed. I told Mark, uh, I said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to sleep in a minute before we get up, which I, in my mind is like, I get up at five every morning. So I'm going to get up at six, kind of linger a little bit, pack up and we'll start hitting the trail. Middle of the night. Um, Marco starts throwing up. Um, he's sick. We don't have enough water. Like I said, he, he left down four liters less than me. And when I went to bed, I had, I had a liter and a half left of water. So that morning I, I messaged to the other group that was kind of clo close to us. I thought they had five gallons on them. Um, I messaged them and I was like, Hey, we need to meet at this certain coordinate. Um, we need water, um, just enough to get us to a Creek or something, but we've got to get Marco some water. And then we're how far away were they, do you know, at this point? At that, I, I didn't know exactly. Um, but probably a mile and a half and I, they had changed their plan and I, they were, they were not using like coordinates to tell me where they were. They were saying like, um, our second, we're moving to our second day campsite on the first day. So Got it. whereas that that's all well and good when you're looking at your own Onyx and you have things labeled sure. in a certain color. But from my perspective, I can't see that. Like I can see all these locations, but to try to dig through 50 locations and find the one labeled um, day two is not, it, it was a hard. So we felt like we had a pretty good plan in the morning to meet up at an intersection um, that was not very far for us to walk. Um, but it would require us blowing out our second day. And it became pretty obvious that second day was going to be a recuperation day for Marco. He was not in a, in, in a condition to do another day of what we had, um, had just done. So, His cramping was. Yeah. And so if they're a mile and a half away, you don't feel that you have the confidence that within a shorter distance of that, that you could find water, even if Marco can't, you know, isn't necessarily super mobile, but that you couldn't necessarily find water to kind of locate, filter, and then get to him. What we had figured out is where they were going to pass us on their four-wheeler uh, was closer. They were going to come back through basically right where we would intersect their trail like it wouldn't be that far off our trail. So it would be oh, better okay. for it. You know, and at this point, um, sorry, in the morning I had used up all my walk, me and Marco had shared up. And I, by the time we woke up in the morning and got moving, we were almost down to no water. We had almost nothing left. Um, because with his throat, with his, when he got sick, he like lost all that water. So he was on the edge of dehydration. And we felt like, Hey, if I can get them to come to us, and or really meet us at this this trail intersection 
we could just fill up our bladders and we'd be good. And they still, at this time, I thought they had five and a half, five plus gallons of water. Yeah. And I, for, I forgot they were on four wheelers too. I was just thinking like they had to hike a mile and a half or something. Oh, no, no, no. They're, they were very close. It was, it was a good, it was a solid plan at the time, except that um, I didn't find out till they rolled into where we met that they were out of water too. Mm-hmm. Um, they had that five gallon jug they had, they didn't fill it up. So gotcha. we were in, we we're all, already things are like in a very derailed situation. Mm-hmm. So um, we're in a, hey, Marco's got to recover. Um, let's uh, kind of sort this out right now, figure out, find some water, get bladders refilled. Um, and we sense, so we kind of we kind of hit like a we had this nice little area, um, and oh, I I'll back up just a second on Marco and I's way to uh, meet them. We passed a pond, um, which we did see a whole flock of wild turkeys, which was pretty cool. But we walk up on this pond and um, like a just a tank, like a like a stock tank, and we're gonna fill up there. Well, we get to the water's edge and it is basically just, um, just watered down cow poop. Like it had reeked of that. There's like these little eels swimming in it. It was like, had a urine smell to it. And we kind of made the decision, like if, if something happens, we'll come back here and filter here, but we're meeting those guys in 30 minutes. Let's, let's just get some of their water. Um, so we'd found that water source and then, um, where we were meeting them, it's, it was only about 500 yards to a Creek that we knew had, they'd said had water in it. So, um, when we met up with them, the decision was made, they would take some bladders, go down to that Creek, fill them up, get us loaded, and then, um, get everybody loaded up with some water and head off. Cause I figured we could get enough water to get to our next location uh, and um, where there was water pretty close to that. So I, I felt pretty confident there at that point that we were back on track. Um, but we got another curveball when the ATV blew a tire. So we all went into triage at that point. So now we're, we're down <laughs> Like the whole plan, just, I mean, yeah. I know you guys don't curse on this, but it all went to shit real yeah. fast. So that turned in, that turned into, okay, let's, let's figure out a plan. Um, me and my brother-in-law, we were the ones that had no blisters. We were in good shape. We we're like, okay, we're going to hike back to the truck, make the 30 minute or 40 minute round trip into town, get some fix a flat, get back here. We're going to lose we're going to lose today. It's, it's done, but let's at least get everybody back on their feet, plenty of water, um, and then hit and then be it back at it the next day. Um, well, when that started to happen, a storm starts rolling in. So luckily, um, as we're hiking back that mile, two miles to the truck, um, the other guys roll past on their four wheelers and the storm is rolling in like one of those great big old ominous 
thunder and lightning, Rocky Mountain storms that, you know, just looking at it scares you. So they get us back to the truck. We haul ass, um, get back to the guys. And it becomes obvious that the areas we were going to go had outfitters running to them. The outfitters would get out super early in their side-by-sides set up on these tanks and then um uh basically the way the wind was working you would blow out a whole valley they would blow out that whole valley um get into their spots so you couldn't the prospects of getting to where we were going to go um started to deplete pretty fast um so the decision was made with everybody in the shape they were in that we would go back to camp that night and then figure out a new plan for the next day. So we roll back into camp that night, um, get a good night's sleep. And now we're into, so that was Monday. Now we're into Tuesday, Tuesday night, Marco and I, we decide, um, we're going to go to some more remote tanks that don't have trails, ATV trails anywhere near them. And we're going to go find those tanks and gl- and look for sign, look for food, and then make our way up to some places where we could glass and just try to find some kind of food source that's relevant for the bears. Because at this point, we're not seeing anything that they're going to eat. The prickly pear is gone. Uh, berries are on the kind of shady side of the hills. They're all gone. There's no acorns even on the trees. We're not seeing anything that they're going to eat. So we had taken a uh, electronic predator call and what we figured we'd do is we'd get to a location, find a good spot with a wide open, like at the bottom of a, like a little valley where these stock tanks were. We'll find a good location, um, glass for animals at first and see if we can stock up, put a stock on one. And if not, just set up that call and then, um, uh, just wait it out, see if we could call anything in. And that, that day, Marco and I did, I think total we did about, you know, round trip was somewhere in the neighborhood of six miles, maybe seven. Um, and good bit of elevation gain. We did great. Finally got our goat legs on us. We were really kind of hustling. Um, the problem became that it's so brushy. The areas we were, we couldn't glass anywhere. You'd get up on an area and to get, to stay in good wind, um, you're right on top of it. So, um, not seeing any sign, I mean, no sign at all, just cattle trails everywhere. Um, so we glassed there for a while, waited till about dusk and headed back in, um, and headed to dusk. Didn't see anything. The area we, we couldn't even find an area to open up and, set that predator call because you couldn't see any angles towards it. It was like a, um, any place we could see, we wouldn't even be able to see the call, let alone anything approaching. So there was just, it it had this like kind of defeated feel to it. And despite finally getting our legs underneath us and being able to hike it, the, the, we just made the decision that even if something came, comes up on this, um, we're not going to be able to see it to shoot it. There'd just be no way. And a little bit of fear kicked in that if we got to go retrieve this thing in the dark after calling for 45 minutes, 
and we're the only thing making noise down there, you know, <laughs> we might be, we might be looking at some mountain lion type activity coming at us, but that was a kind of an ir- irrational fear, but it did set in. Um, so Tuesday after a long day, we, uh, made it back to camp. The other team rolled in and, um, decision was made. We're going to go to the second spot three days. None of us had seen any sign, fresh sign. None of us had seen any food. Um, there we talked to a handful of outfitters passing through. There'd been no bear taken. Um, nobody'd seen anything. So, um, we were to harken back to the advice. We're still getting advice through all of this. Oh, you got to go down to the tanks. You got to go this place. You got to go here. And, um, doing our best to shut that out and just keep our plan. But we made the decision that that night to um, go to our number two spot. Got it. So you three days, as you said, none of your groups talking to outfitters. You just don't, don't see any potential, see any sign. Did you guys, because like, I know we talked before about, you know, how much time do you give in an area before you move and all that stuff. Once you start this process of, okay, we're, we're popping stakes, we're moving, we're going to a completely new area. Do you feel like you guys did that efficiently or did you learn anything about, hey, if we would have done this or done that, whether it's setting up base camp or how you did it or how much stuff you had, et cetera, like how efficient was it to move? And did you learn anything about that process? I think uh, the, the two things that should have been done better um, I'm trying to phrase this diplomatically. Um, we should have, the first thing we should have done is been gotten on our spots and given it a full three days. Like we didn't really, weren't even able to give it a full three days. I feel like we gave it a day and a half. Yeah. Now you, for, you spend all the, that time hunting. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think that being able to say, that being each pair being a little bit more autonomous and um, just being able to say, okay, I'm, I'm getting up and hunting. If we'd have been able to stay out in the woods that first day, I would have felt better about popping stakes and moving. I didn't, I felt like it was the right decision, but I felt also it was, it was, I was conflicted. I felt like we didn't give it enough time and we didn't get, we weren't able to get far enough back because, um, um, we didn't plan what water wasn't planned for by everybody as well as it should have been. Um, and as far as efficiently getting up and going, I, I, I can only speak, I'd only want to speak for me, um, in that efficiency. I, I was able to get my pack up and down, you know, emptied and filled out in a matter of five minutes. And I had a very small footprint in the way that, you know, y'all pack things outside of your stuff sacks and all that. Like I could get it in and out really quick and I felt really good about it. Um, I, it, some of the other guys had a, a, a bit of a different situation. So um, it would, it, it took us where I felt like if I was by myself and I, I wasn't, I was with some dear friends of mine. So I don't, I'm not trying to speak ill. If I was by myself, I could have been in and out of there in 10 minutes. 
And if, um, it took us in the neighborhood of a couple hours probably to, to get out of there. Yeah. And I think that's, um, you know, what, what you've mentioned several times about like, I don't want to say urgency, but basically people of different personalities, different ways of looking at things in terms of how much time you take, how much stuff, et cetera. But we've talked so much on the podcast about being able to stay mobile. And I think that one thing some folks are, they they hear that, they acknowledge that, maybe that's part of their plan. But then one thing I think that can be problematic is people forget, hey, everything I get out, I have to then put up. Or people don't take any time to kind of stay organized as they're using stuff. And so I've just seen it, I've heard it, I've been there and I've done that. You get to a spot and you're like, yeah, we're going to be here two, three days. Let's set up a base camp. Let's get this. Let's get that. Let's do this. Let's do that. And then when you then realize, okay, this spot's not working. We need to move. Sometimes you just have so much stuff now to then manage where it's like, yeah, we could have kept base camp comfortable, but a bit more minimal still and just been a lot more efficient when it does come time to pop stakes and move. Yeah. And I mean, little things um, like you know, hunting for a stuff sack or a fork or, you know, the lid to your water bottle, like those types of things, you don't realize how that compounds if you're not organized. And, um, you know, I work out of my truck for the most part or work out of small offices and what I do. So I have to keep things kind of in the same spot all the time. And then having toured in a band a number of times, um, you get spread out and you're going to lose half the stuff that's important to you. So I, I, I kind of had that mentality going into it and it didn't occur to me that other people wouldn't have that. And not that I would have like coached them because that's kind of a pompous thing to say, but kind of just said like, Hey, make sure you know where everything's going to go or, you know, kind of had a kind of rundown before we left of like organize, put things in the same spot every time. And, you know, maybe we could have avoided a little bit of that, but. And that just comes with time and experience too. Absolutely. So day, what would this be now? Day four is Wednesday of, you know, hunting season. So day four, we're trying to get out of there in the morning. Um, there's four of us now. The other two guys left um, that night. They decided to get out there early and we were still waiting on two of our guys to get back. So they, they bolted and went to the second spot ahead of time. Um, they got there at night. And, um, uh, just, just pitch camp if I remember correctly. So we get out of there, we roll to the location where they're, they crossed a river and they're in a four wheel drive. Um, we get there and the water's about 14, 15 inches high at this water crossing. And we can't get across it in this truck. It's not, it's too, too risky. It's not a four wheel drive. If we start to go, we're, we're in the river. So, um, we decide to kind of pull back into town. Um, we've already lost the morning, so we're going to wait for some communication from them to find out what they're seeing and then, uh, get them like midday, try to get them close to us. So if we do get stuck, they can pull us out. We go back into this little town, uh, figure it's an opportunity to restock, you know, some, you know, bottles of water or whatever, you know, get these guys who are 
kind of on the verge of dehydration, get them some Gatorades, Pedialyte or whatnot. Um, and we realize after we're sitting there, one of the guys is not looking good. And I kind of clocked it at lunch. And then we're kind of waiting on word from the, the two Arizona fellas. And my brother-in-law walks up to me and he says, Hey, he's not doing good at all. Like he's shaking. He feels like he's going to pass out. He's got a problem on our hands. Um, there's a clinic around the corner. Let's go over there and, and check it out. Go to the clinic. Dude is severely dehydrated. Um, and <laughs> to the point where the doctor says, you, you can't go up into the mountains again. You're dehydrated. You've got altitude sickness. Um, your hunt's over. So we now have to figure that out. So we spend the rest of that day sorting out, um, getting him a hotel, stocking him up on food and water and all that. Um, in the meantime, that two Arizona guys have determined that they've talked to several outfitters passing them they determined there's no bear bear moved out of that second location. So we're now at the end of Wednesday, we've, we've, we're down a dude. And then we make the decision to go to the third location, which I think is the right decision. It was apparently far more brushy than where we were at. There's no place to glass. Um, not seeing any, any sign at all. Um, and no acorns, no berries. So we're going to move up in elevation significantly and try to try to find them. And again, we're getting more advice. We're at the, at the corner store and everybody's telling us all these different places to go. Oh, I saw a bear there. I saw a bear there. I mean, like the person, the, the gal at the bar, which is the only place that served hot food. Everybody there has a place and everybody at the corner store has a place. And you, you quickly realize I need to be asking them, when did you see these bears? That's exactly what I was just getting ready to say, because I've been there and done that. And some of these people throwing out advice have the best of intentions, but like you got to realize that some of these locals are like, oh yeah, I've killed a bear there. I've seen a bear there. And that could be a completely different context than the current moment. And that's, I, I started to ask that question, like when, oh, it's three weeks ago. Or uh, just yesterday, I saw a bear out at the landfill, and I'm like, I can't hunt at the landfill. Like, you know, or where did you see this bear? Oh, my neighbor has an apple tree, and it was in my neighbor's yard. And it's like, okay, well, I can't hunt that, you know. It doesn't do me any good. That bear's living in a you know culvert somewhere, eating apples and trash. That's not a bear I can hunt, you know. On the flip side, just to get a good example of that, is on a recent hunt, uh that I was on archery hunt, we did run into some locals and uh, it was these, it was a rancher basically who was um, that we ran into and we asked him those specific questions and it turned out to be great Intel. So I just don't want people to hear me say, don't trust local Intel. It's just, as you just said, you just have to be more specific and kind of ask some follow-up questions or start your questions like pretty specifically. Oh yeah. Then that's what ended up happening is you'd, they'd ask us what we were hunting and then, um, and that was also a key to the, to the level of Intel, Intel you were uh, going to get is it only bear was open at that time. The elk was closed for the week. So if anybody asked us what we were hunting, um, 
and then uh and it was as if okay well you don't know that it's elk is closed the only thing is open it's bare so that kind of already starts to filter out a lot of it and then people are like oh you seen any bear and that guy says something you pay attention to it like at least he knows that it's bear season yeah so it's some kind of credible his 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 angle of or his perspective is coming as a hunter not as like somebody just driving around so we did get pretty good the third spot we were going to we got supportive uh advice and sightings of bears that were up in that area so we did get confirmation that hey where we're going has a better chance of, of seeing some stuff so we head out um wednesday evening uh there were two ways into this location. We took the wrong, what I'll, I'll call the wrong way, um, which took us on the scariest road I've ever been on in my life, especially pulling a trailer. It was a two-way road that was just barely wide enough to fit a pickup. And um, I'm not the best at backing up a trailer. So we were just terrified. We we're going to be 10,000, 11,000 feet on, the, on a switchback and come head to head with somebody. Um, so that took us till the evening and instantly dropping into this Valley. Um, when we got there, we're like, okay, this feels, this feels good. This feels like a spot where we're going to be able to find, um, bear. And we've got two days, two days left to hunt. Um, get there. Those guys had, uh, hiked back. They got there a few hours before us and they hiked pretty far back. They saw some elk. They saw some look like new de-buried, you know, uh, bushes in the, in the Creek floor, the river floor, riverbed. So we're, we're on to something here. We figure it's good. So we make a plan for the next day, get a campsite set up. Um, and, uh, it's right at next to a ranger station. There's no other hunters. It looks like it's going to be sweet it's we're just really really hyped on it so the next morning me marco and brian now we're um we're three of us can't use the four-wheeler because it's it, it's there's no atv trails um <clears throat> and uh then we're also we're on the edge of the wilderness area so obviously there's no atv trails there so we head out with light packs we figure we're coming back each night um, we head out bare bones, just enough to food for a day and a half in case something happens and just kind of emergency supplies. <clears throat> we get up early, um, head to an area where there's a burn, um, in a basin that we can glass, um, and the wind, where the wind is going to be right. Cause we're really being first and foremost every place is dictated by that because i just you know that was in the back of our heads is the primary thing we get out there uh takes about two miles hike back there the burn is overgrown desolate it's like that the level of burn where there's nothing it's like it's in that intermediate phase where it's not the fresh stuff popping out of the the dirt it's that second secessional growth Mm -hmm. glass there for a couple hours and realize, Hey, let's get out of here and go to our second location. Let's make it there in time for dusk. So, uh, wheel back, um, to the second location, hike about 
four and a half miles into the wilderness. And it is finally feeling like, hey, we're seeing berries. We're seeing acorns. The wind is perfect. This is going to be, this is our spot. Like we're really, it's the first time we've loaded our guns the whole trip. So um, we're loaded, guns in hand, walking where we feel like we're at this point still hunting into this um, intersection of like four um, drainages and um, seeing acorns on the trail. And we're finally like, holy crap, we're, we're hunting now. Like it, I mean, we were like on cloud nine to finally feel like we were in the midst of the possibility of animals. Well, we get right to the spot where we're about to decide, Hey, you go up this way. I'll go this way. Um, and start looking, you know, get to a place where we can glass up and down these drainages. And I just catch, catch a glimpse out of my, the corner of my eye, a gray geometric shape. And I'll look over and there's a damn tent staked right in the middle of where we were going to hunt. And it turns out that these people had been there. We, they were like the, um, real antisocial. I mean, it's their prerogative. They can camp and hunt or camp and do whatever they want, whenever they want. It's not me for me to say, but, um, we tried to go talk to them and they just walked away from us. <laughs> like literally just yeah. kind of not acknowledged and turned and walked. Right when we got there, Marco saw the guy, one of the guys, and he waved at Marco. And then we wandered around, confirmed there were berries and everything. And I was like, let's go talk to them and find out how long they're going to be here. And if they're pulling stakes tonight, then we're going to come back for, we're going to come back in the dark and hike up this drainage. But the thing was where they were angled, the wind for the last couple of days had just been blowing out like upwind of them there was no, no viable hunting. It was, it turned into bigger trails and things where we didn't feel like we could hunt downwind of them where we figured we could get up out of that basin and hike on the ridges and be in a good safe wind spot. They had been blowing their wind down there for what we could tell from their campsite. They'd been there for probably at least a week. Um, so we tried to talk to him. The guy's walking away from us. I mean, keeping about a 40 yard distance and he kind of like look around and look at us through the corner of his eye and just keep wandering. I was like, man, he's not, he don't want to talk to us. Like he he's, he's living his life out here in, in the woods and that's his progress. I don't want to, I don't want to run this guy down with rifles on us and, and create some scene that this guy isn't looking for. Like, that's not what I'm, I don't, that's not fun to me. So, um, we are about as defeated as it gets at that point. We've got, I mean, all the way up to the top, the highest moment and, um, four and a half miles in, it is like four thirty, and the whole, from our perspective, the whole drainage, everything's blown out from their wind. Cause you'd walk, once we started following this guy, you could feel a steady breeze on your face and it just fed all the way down into these drainages. And we walked through, saw all this, all these berries, all this stuff there. And we just felt like probably the reason there are berries and food still here is that the bears haven't gotten to it because people have been camping here. Um, so uh, had made the hard decision, kind of powwowed. And, you know, if we, 
if we set up that predator call, one of the adjacent drainages, our fear was, is that we're setting these people up for bringing animals into their campsite, which they've avoided. And I mean, they had their food hung over the water, you know, that whole, the whole backpacker refrigerator where you hang the food over the cold water to keep it from Mm -hmm. whatever they had that set up in like three locations. So if we go pulling, I just felt like I can either leave an impression on them and myself that we're going to do right by the people who were here first, or we can go in and create potentially a real calamitous situation for them. And maybe it was bad morale that, that aided that it might've been, but ultimately we made the decision to just get back to camp and reconfigure and figure out what to do. So we hiked another four and a half. Well, it ended up being five miles because we had a little bit of extra to do. Um, So we hiked on out of there. Beautiful country. Loved it, you know, but um, got back to the campsite. um, And just felt like somebody shot it, like punched us in the gut, like just awful feeling. Yeah. Until you've like experienced all these highs and lows over these multiple days. And it's just such a weird thing. Like you guys have put in multiple days at this first spot, dealt with setbacks, not finding animals, not seeing sign. Now you got guys who are sick and dehydrated and all these ups and downs. And then, you know, work through that, get to this new spot, see so much good, so much potential, like everything changes for the positive and then almost immediately like see the tent, see the dudes. And then you're right back down to that low point. Um, yeah. I've walked through stuff like that and it's, yeah, it's frustrating after multiple days of effort and setbacks and then it's like, Oh yes, here it is. Oh no, no, it's not. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I mean, I was like, you know, you've, you whitetail hunt, and I've done a little bit of that. And when you see a deer walk in or you hear that crunch of leaves, it was that that kind of level of uh, excitement where you're like hearts racing. You're like, holy cow, we're finally where finally where we need to be. And then just I mean, it was like some linebacker came out of nowhere and just flattened me. <laughs> and, you know, I tried to keep a good, you know, I. I can get to be flat out on, I can get real moody. So I really work hard on like trying not to be, um, not to be that way. So I really was like, okay, what can we do? What's our, what are our options? Well, let's go back and figure it out. Um, and having a four and a half mile hike with that impression on you is, is rough. That's a, that's rough. Like, if anything comes out of it, that is like, I don't really give a crap anymore. I mean, I'm going to continue to train and and plan and do that. That's what I'm going to work on is figuring out how to beat that demon. Dude, that's a great takeaway, man. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, it's, that's the mental fortitude right there. Like, you know, if, and you know, we, and then, you know, just a really quick, we made another fundamental mistake that day, which we, I don't, I didn't even realize until right now. And maybe we talked about it, but I don't think we did. If we'd have put a, if we'd have put camp on our backs that night and hiked in with a camp, we could have um, gone off trail, gone way, find, you know, hiked that four and a half miles to another location, 
Um, but that wasn't an option. We didn't have camp on our back. So those types of mistakes that I just like, I didn't even realize we made that until just now, but. Yeah. And that's a, a, that's such a great point too, is I can't tell you how many times. And again, this just comes with time and experience. And for guys who have heard Steve or I talk about, you know, lightweight and simple and all that stuff, that's a perfect scenario where all that begins to matter is, I mean, there was even times um, on this year's rifle elk hunt where Steve and I were going, cause we kept having to move. We were trying to find elk and, there was areas that we headed into that we knew most likely were just in here for the day. But when you get to the point where your overnight gear is only adding seven, eight pounds to your day pack, it really becomes easy to go, Oh, we might as well carry camp in case we're into elk and want to stay in here in case we kill something late and we need to stay overnight. So as much as the like, simple and relatively minimal lightweight gear matters yes over an extended hunt call it a five or a seven or a 10 day hunt that's true but the ability to go i think we're day hunting but i'm going to go ahead and carry camp and a day's worth of food because it's only going to add you know less than 10 pounds to my pack and i'm still light and efficient that just opens up so many opportunities even if it is that just that one extra day but it saved you five miles in and five miles out having camp on our backs would have given us, you know, another possibility to to sway us out of that. What ultimately would have, you know, ultimately turned into the, the negative emotions that caused us to leave a day early. I mean, we got back to camp that night. I was beat up. Um, I finally, that was the first day I really felt, I mean, obviously we'd had a data that we didn't do crap, but, um, after that, I think we had hiked a total of, I think we figured it was either 13 or 14 miles that day. Um, and that's just all, I don't know if Onyx tracks the up and down as, um, uh, you know, if it, it, it counts it as foot miles or if it counts it as like as the crow flies, but it was 14 miles via Onyx of hiking. Got back, finally, like my shoulders were kind of okay because I was a lighter pack, but my feet were just like cramping up and well, it became clear that night, our friend that we'd left in the motel two days, a day and a half earlier, who was not looking good, we'd not communicated with him. He had a cell phone, but no satellite communicator. Well, nobody communicated with him. So we didn't know what was going on with him. And um, finally, I got my wife, who knows him, to text him. and he's what he wants us to come get him and you know it's an hour and a half drive just to go get him so we're in this position where now we've got a guy that we're gonna blow if if we leave him and just try to hunt friday we've still got to go get him saturday um are we're just defeated beat up and defeated and I feel like I, I'm going to take responsibility for the, the, the final call on we're leaving a day early. Um, but I don't think anybody was too disappointed. I, Marco, I believe, was disappointed. 
the other two guys uh, were right there with me. We wanted to see our families, you know, that it, it was, we were in a low spot. Um, the probability of us being able to make headroads into finding something, um, it just, that, that, like I said, that demon really got a hold of us after seeing those tents and um, walking back. I, it's it's embarrassing to say that we gave up, but we we just made that call and um, cut our losses and decided to get home a day early and see our families and do the best to kind of learn from our mistakes. Dude, it's um, way more common than you probably think, right? Like you in this moment, not wanting to be the guy to admit to that or whatever on on the podcast, but that is just real. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, on the side of it, it's always easy to armchair quarterback and sit here in the comfort of home, like, and say, oh, we should have. But I'll just say, for the listener's sake, that's real. And as you said, like, one of your biggest takeaways from this trip is kind of battling that whole mental aspect of it. And until you've walked there, been there, done that, dealt with the ups and downs over the course of all these multiple days, you just don't know what that's like until you do it, man. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a, I can be like ridiculously optimistic. I can make, I mean, I can make positives or or see the positive in a lot of things and, and really like force, you know, like my current career, I work in construction. I'm successful at that, but I have an English degree. I mean, I had to hard scrabble through it. I mean, I can see the hard work and the path through to positive a positive future and a positive outcome. This was the first time that I really like, I succumbed to it in a, in a really long time. I mean, I can't, I I can't remember the last time, but I know that I've had that feeling before. And as a 46 year old man, you don't, it, this it's in a lot of ways, rejuvenating to have that as a challenge. um, And as a hurdle to overcome, but, it's shocking dude it is like you're you're like did i just quit on something i quit on it how how did i get there and then you start to reel roll back in your head do the highlight reel of all the things that happened and you're like okay well start here start there and that mental training and then the months leading up to it be working through those issues i mean you know, you, I hear on a lot of times on podcasts, or especially these after the hunts guys are like, oh, there's no, there's nothing like training for the mountains or, you know, man, I don't, I train good. I, I agree with every aspect of that, but that mental beating of, of, um, experience, lack of experience, lack of certain types of, um, preparation. That's, that's, that's it. That's that's the hunt. And I think you can get through that. For me, the next one I do is the success is going to be derived from either avoiding or overcoming that moment. Um, so that I know that when I roll back in after however many days that I did every last thing I could, I pushed through everything and it, it may or may not have been my fault. And, you know, in, capital letters fault but it wasn't my fault that i didn't try um and yeah i mean i don't you know 
like we could probably do another hour and a half on what gear worked and what gear failed and you know all that but at the end of the day um the the cartridge i had on my back or you know um or the cartridge selection i made or the tent selection i made didn't matter because that's the thing that i should have that that ultimately took took a hold of me yeah man a thousand percent plus one (laughs) like that is so so valuable and it it's not good, right? Like you, you regret that you faced that, but now on the side of it, how valuable is it that you've had an experience that put you in that place that showed you that reality, that part of you, because most of us live a life where we never confront that. And it's a gift, honestly, to be able to confront that, to learn that about yourself and then to put yourself in a position again in the future to kind of face that demon and overcome it. That's a gift. I think you're right. I have, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Um, I mean, it sucks, but <laughs> yeah, well, you, you know, one of the things I thought of that picked me back up is like, at least I didn't, at least it wasn't some, you know, lifetime draw or I didn't burn a bunch of points or something like that on it. It was a OTC tag and I I took my licks and now, you know, now is the time to really hammer down. And, um, I mean, I I feel like I got five hunts worth of mistakes in, um, Mm -hmm. in, in one, I mean, it really feels like I could go out and I, I feel like, you know, anything aside from a solo elk hunt, I could probably do and be successful in that, that those terms of my success, not necessarily harvesting something, but those levels of success that I've now reset, um, I could do it. And, and, um, I, I took my licks and, you know, can't wait for the next one. So, (laughs) yeah, dude, well, thank you for, I didn't, again, I didn't know any of this. We didn't talk after the hunt. I didn't know how this podcast was going to go or what the story was or what the lessons were. If we're going to talk about tents and gear or all this stuff we just got into, I had no idea. And uh, before we hit record, you know, you kind of said you were uh, more nervous to share this podcast than you were the original one. And now I kind of see why, right? So um, that said, thank you so much for sharing it because it is it is so valuable to put this out there for people. Um, so thanks for having the, you know, kind of the cur- courage and, and vulnerability to share it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, thanks for, you know, providing a, an outlet for it. This is kind of like the, uh, you know, the download or the debrief. So, uh, you know, I've kind of been waiting on this podcast to be able to just like exercise those last thoughts and last emotions about it. And, um, I appreciate it. I mean, your, your podcast has provided a level of, you know, um, information and, uh, expertise that even though all the mistakes we did make, um, there could have been a lot worse, you know, uh, there could have been a lot worse things that we weren't prepared for that could have got us stranded a couple times. So, um, I, uh, I definitely appreciate everything that y'all do. And, um, and the advice that, I mean, we, I've used advice kind of negatively recently, but the advice y'all gave and especially with the stuff that 
be on that Monday minute. And then anything I've sent you over email has been just worthwhile for sure. Poignant. Well, there you have it, guys. This is such a great episode to learn from. I hope that you are enjoying these after the hunt stories from people just like you who are listeners of this podcast. If you have a story to share with us or a question that you'd like us to address on a future episode, send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com, or you can leave an audio message with your question by hitting the link in the show description that says, leave us a message. Finally, a reminder that Exo Mountain Gear's once a year sale is going to start this coming Monday as of the timing that this podcast is released. So on Monday, November 21st of 2022, we will have 20% off site-wide at exomountaingear.com on all of our pack systems, accessories, logo gear, and more. And that will be for a limited time and limited quantities. So don't wait to check that out on the 21st. Appreciate you guys tuning in. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe or follow button so that you receive future episodes automatically. And we'll talk to you soon.